The biblical book of Jonah is one of the most well-known in the Bible. It's found in nearly every children's Bible. Even those who don't read the Bible or hold to the Christian or Jewish faiths are acquainted with this narrative. With a man being swallowed by a fish only to be spat out again, it's little wonder why. But that's probably where the knowledge of the story ends for most people, especially for those who don't read the Bible or identify as adherents of the faiths that hold it as scripture. If asked about the point of the story, there would probably only be a few who could give an answer. And that's not surprising. After all, it's an ancient story and we are modern readers. The questions we ask about the text often don't allow the text to speak for itself. Where modern readers are concerned with how Jonah might have survived in the belly of a fish, ancient readers likely would have asked why Jonah is portrayed the way he is. Perhaps we need to ask better questions. In this episode, we ask, how do our questions affect our reading of Jonah? Do our questions clarify what's going on in the narrative or only muddy our understanding? How can we read Jonah in a way that moves beyond Sunday morning or Sunday school? All that and more on this edition of the podcast. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where faith and culture meet. about some some Jonah Ooh, this is more uh, I mean it is most of the episodes are semi in our wheelhouse but this especially hits yeah, yeah, yeah. this is our this is yeah. our um, scratches the bi- biblical studies itch <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was having trouble coming up with a metaphor <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go yeah <laughs> I mean, it's. I guess it's a story that maybe besides like Jesus is one of the most famous, you know, stories like outside yeah. of just Christians. You know what I mean? Because everybody's yeah. been to VBS at least in the United States. And, you know, heard this story, or I guess Noah probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Noah. Noah the... Why do you think it's, that it's is? It's funny that this. Yeah, the stories that get picked. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah. Let's tell them the story about when God drowned the whole world and everybody died. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a kid's tale, I guess. I think it's the like kind of the um, I don't know, almost the almost outlandish kind of narrative, like yeah. points in it. You it's, know? Like it's like mythic. It's swallowed by a fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I guess it's like. It's very easy to create a mental picture of, right. you know, it's like a fairy tale or something where it's, yeah. but hey, I mean, therein lies the problem or maybe yeah. the solution. I think it's also because <laughs> I wonder too, if it's because of the whole, like, um, 
idea of Christianity being so entrenched in just the culture of America. Um, there's still enough of that to where people, even if they don't understand all the, you know, points in the narrative or remember all the points in the narrative, have enough of an idea of like Jonah and some fish swallowing a guy, that sort of sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, like you said, what, I guess, therein lies the problem. Yeah, the problem is we have the we have the well, I don't even know if we have the plot, but we have the maybe the symbols, or we just have two of the plot elements: Jonah and some sort of sea creature. Mm. But uh, going any further than that sometimes can be a yeah. little bit. Uh, One could argue. I mean, the word of the Lord, because it's the the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, which comes. If we're gonna get all nerdy about it, it's, that's the oh, subject yeah, of the nerdy. word of the verb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally the word of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, right, right from the top. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Uh, I will. It maybe it'll be a good place to start, at least for me to to say. Uh, at least how it was taught in my church. Just you know, beyond obviously Jonah and the whale as a children's story. Um. But I guess how. I guess so. I guess for me, it was taught basically like as like a you should obey God and be willing to. Well, I guess in two ways. One, you should obey God. <laughs> so that's like the most basic level. Mm -hmm. It's taught is what it's saying, and then two is like, look what God can do when you obey Him. <laughs> you know, right. those yeah. are like, and like you follow God's call or whatever. Um, yeah, so in that way, it was almost like a missions, like a missions sermon or, mm -hmm. or lesson. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, how was it taught to you? Um, yeah, the, definitely the obedience factor of it, but then also the, um, the idea of like getting like, um, being forgiven by God and given a second chance after disobedience um was uh, i no, guess one of not. the points of the, the story i don't know yeah that's true yeah but i was no, definitely more fair. familiar with the like the first half of the book than i was with the latter yes half. yeah yeah same well usually we just stop at chapter three it's like yay everybody everybody yeah. repented or or maybe even earlier Happy than ending. three. I forget where it says that Jonah was angry. I think, isn't that the end of chapter three? So he probably stopped before that verse. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, maybe we should just dive into the first two chapters because I feel like everything I want to talk yeah. about, it just includes the whole book. So maybe we should just <laughs> yeah. go for it. <laughs> I, I will, uh, well, maybe if, like stepping back, um, it might be helpful yeah. for people to understand that like the the canonical like placement of the book of Jonah, like where it is in the Bible, sure. like we read it yeah. as a, a good idea. Um, as an individual narrative, and it is right. The, you know, the, um, mm. it's got all the telltale signs of, you know, beginning, middle, and end, that sort of thing. Um, but it's also a part of the larger collection of of prophets, and so they're kind of. Um, um, there's this idea in, in biblical scholarship of, of the book of the 12, the book of the 12 minor prophets, usually. So they're individual yeah. books in a kind of like anthology sort of thing, but they kind of, um, they're unified in a way that 
not so much in like a, a singular narrative, you know, logical flow, but they kind of work off of each other in terms of the themes that they use, the language that's used, yeah. and how and how ideas develop progressively as you go from the you know from the first book of the twelve prophets to the last. Um, right, yeah. and they're and all should, found yeah. on one scroll, basically. Right, like yeah. in in ancient manuscripts, yeah. they're they're on one scroll together, just right. like the book of Isaiah or something, or right. the scroll of Isaiah. Yeah, it's the scroll of the twelve. Yeah. And I, I guess we should clarify. So it's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Yes. We won't tell the nice. listeners that I went and added yeah, like a six <laughs> other books prior to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, sick. Yeah. So, I mean, that's good context, um, which, yeah, I mean, it's. It in itself is the part of the latter prophet. I guess it depends on how you organize your Old Testament, but um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's a, in a section of prophetic books, mm-hmm. um, which were. I mean, not that we're not going to get into the weeds of composition history of the Old Testament, but um, written during a time when Israel's being disobedient to God's covenant and exiled and overtaken by other nations um which i mean as the narrative in this book you know that's kind of the setting of this the narrative of this book is um at the very least that israel's enemies are starting to rise up um in opposition to it anyway yeah i mean yeah so in that respect so i say that to say like jonah's got some pretty like telltale signs of it being a um you know, uh, um, like a prophetic book, like it's got stuff in common, like the sure. the speech event formula, which we'll talk about later. But like the yeah. word of the Lord came to Jonah multiple times. Sure, it says that, and it kind of breaks up the narrative in parts. In, in parts, sure. And you've got like the call narrative, right, of Yahweh calling the prophet or his servant uh, to to a task. Um, totally trying to think if there are other similarities to other prophetic books that's that's like you know that that we would be familiar with those are the two big ones yeah i mean well there's also differences which you know usually the other prophetic books have long sections of oracles whereas jonah has like a four-word oracle or something (laughs) that's the only thing that there's no uh there's no dating formula either like in the fourth yeah. year of such and such king, there's no like the name sure. of the king of Nineveh isn't you know, is it named? Yeah. Um, and that's yeah, and I should specify Oracle is just like a a long text like what the prophet is saying. <laughs> Sorry, I realize sometimes we use these words, um, but yeah, yeah, no dating formula either. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I guess I mean those are the major ones, but I'm sure some more dissimilarities will kind of yeah come up as we talk about it but yeah sure a question from the pew all right well um we're doing things a little bit different i think with this one just because we're looking at a different uh 
we're looking at a biblical passage, which is yeah, atypical totally. of us with our episodes. But <laughs> yeah. typically we pose the question up front and then talk about the question. But I think it's helpful as we kind of walk through the narrative um, to have questions in mind as we walk through the narrative. So I think the questions that totally. we're asking are, how do our questions affect our reading of Jonah? Do those questions clarify what's going on in the narrative or only muddy our con or our understanding? And then or obviously moving forward, how can we read Jonah in a way that moves beyond kind of the typical Sunday morning or Sunday school understanding? Um, so those are the, so those are the I guess the framing questions um, or at least questions that um, we have in mind as we walk through the text. I don't know if you wanted to add anything more to that. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Cool. Shall we move right, on well, into let, it? Let's jump in. Yeah, I guess just to, I guess, get a quick summary of Jonah 1. I think we're assuming you, the listener, has at least some knowledge of Jonah. And, you know, push comes to shove, you can go read it. There's plenty of yeah. plenty of access to the Bible. Uh, but, take, yeah, I mean. Maybe 20 Jonah, minutes tops. Yeah, honestly, it will not. it will not take you long. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Jonah, Jonah one obviously starts the, I mean, you know, beginning fourth of the story, there's four chapters, very neatly organized, which is like kind of nice. Um, but yeah, this, this first chapter, Jonah obviously gets the call to go to Nineveh. Um, he does not do that. And instead he goes to the sea, to Joppa, <laughs> and then he gets a, gets a ship. Headed for all, headed for Spain, I guess, uh, for Tarshish, which I mean, there's lots of things to talk about in there. But uh, obviously, he gets on the ship with the sailors. A, a storm is sent, or at least a great wind is sent by uh, by Yahweh. All the sailors that he's with are freaked out. He's not really. He's just he's just asleep, which is kind of fun. Uh, they wake him up. And they say, yo, you need to get your God. We're playing to our gods. You get your God to figure it out too. Um, they draw straws basically to figure out who's responsible for the storm. It's a little superstition, a little ancient superstition there. The But hey, the straws, you know, turns out Jonah's the problem. And he, you know, Jonah's he is the one. Yeah. He tells them to cast him over the side of the ship. They do not want to do that. So they try to fight it for a while longer. And then eventually, you know. Eventually they say, all right, let's get rid of this punk. Uh, they toss him over and uh, yeah, and everything gets calm. And seemingly, you know, you'd think Jonah would die being thrown into a, a raging sea, as it were. Um, but the chapter ends with Jonah being swallowed by a fish and then spending three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. Mm -hmm. oh, hopefully that's a workable nice. summary i don't know I'm well summarized i think i think you yeah, hit, hit you. all the major points nice yeah thanks <laughs> cool well yeah i mean like like you said a lot of these elements will probably be familiar um but as as is our our mo um we want to look at things that maybe aren't typically talked about on a on a sunday morning or maybe talk about yeah. questions that that are left lingering after a Sunday morning sermon yeah. or, or a reading of, of this story. I don't know. <laughs> totally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess that what pops out to you uh, right away. Yeah. 
I guess one of the main things, one of the first things that pops out to me and is an overarching, um, I guess an overarching, um, how do I want to describe it? An overarching like problem maybe that folks run into when reading this book um, mm -hmm. are the questions of like, you know, the quote unquote historical reliability of it. Sure. Um, and um, like the idea of what was Jonah swallowed by a fish, which we'll get to later. But I think the text, yeah. the way it starts off, like we mentioned earlier, it's very different from other prophetic texts. So it invites yeah. us to read it in a different way. Right. right. So it doesn't start off with the typical in the year of such and such king in the fourth month, mm. blah, blah, blah. Um, it's a very short intro, right? It jumps straight in. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah and son of Amittai, that's the most detail that we've got in the introduction before yeah. it jumps straight into, um, sure. to, into the actual call to go to Nineveh. So I think totally. straight out the gate, the the writer is in, inviting the reader to the reader is invited to put aside those questions of um, historicity that I think kind of plague the reading of certain biblical texts because that that uh, totally. that puts on that puts on a lens that the text is not meant to be read with. Totally. Well, and I feel like the Jonah son of Amittai is like, it's like hyperlinking it to, um, I think it's in, isn't it in Second Kings where he kind of pops yeah. up for a second and he's like, hey, there he is. Right. Uh, so I think it's like, it's trying to like connect them kind of to like a, you know, at least a, a figure that's mentioned elsewhere in the, like the biblical collection. But it's also not trying to, nail down a bunch of these details you know mm -hmm. historic details yeah. um yeah yeah it's interesting to me like yeah that's like that's really the only place i'm pretty sure where jonah son of amatai shows up the only other place in, yeah. is in second yeah Kings. um yeah and it's, like, and it's just like for like a half second <laughs> like yeah. i don't even remember what he does like uh, yeah so it's like it's a relatively lesser known prophet and then there's there's just a narrative. So, yeah, I think there's all that to, again, invite the reader to put aside questions of historicity, what happened, what didn't happen, and kind of look beyond those those questions. So, um, yeah. yeah. To the straight like, out, straight out the gate. principle, which yeah. is just a fancy way of saying what, you know, we're supposed to be paying attention to what the story is trying to communicate rather than pinning it down to the exact historical right. setting.
No, I think I think uh, I mean we mentioned it earlier when we were setting up the book a little bit of like this uh, like the main idea being the obedience of disobedience and then kind of delayed obedience of Jonah. Um, and here, obviously, it's just his disobedience in chapter one. And uh, while I think that that's like that is a fair observation, Jonah did he did disobey, <laughs> you know, he did not do what the word of the Lord told him to do. Um, but I think it misses, um, I guess, a wider, like the, I guess, the more depth. How do I say this? I guess the, I don't know, like the meaning that's that's not face value, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, re- really what this is, is it's about, you know, God's prophet, um, you know, standing in essentially for as God's people, not fulfilling you know, the role that God has called them to. Um, so more than it just being Jonah as an individual, Jonah kind of represents Israel's, you know, disobedience to the call that God put on their lives, you know, through his covenant with them. And, you know, the fact that they were called to be his kingdom of priests to the nations. Um, here, God's calling Jonah, an Israelite, to go to another, a different nation, you know, Nineveh isn't in Israel. It's mm-hmm. Assyrian. Um, so he's calling him to go to a different nation. Um, but, you know, he he refuses to. Almost like he wants to, you know, hoard for some reason, you know, God's blessings for his own. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing is just noticing that while it is an ind- like Jonah is an individual in the story, he stands in for the wider community of Israel mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. failures and kind of disobedience rather than just like his own, you know, as a singular person. Yeah. No, that's good. And that's, that's, um, <laughs> that's countered with like the irony of, we'll see, I guess, uh, maybe we don't want it to go right now, but um, the irony of like the response of the sailor, the sailors when it comes to, yeah, um, when it comes to the response that, Sorry, when it comes to the knowledge of, you know, Jonah, a Hebrew serving Yahweh, that sort of thing, uh, their yeah. responses are very different from Jonah. Like the initial, yeah, I would say let's just go, go there. there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's yeah, let's yeah. So the yeah, first well, yeah. verse two, right, is the command to go to Nineveh, and then what follows in verse three is the conjunction, and or but, I, I think in this case, it. It's very clearly yeah. un- should be understood as a contrast. contrast. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, but Jonah didn't go. He went the opposite uh, way, away from the presence of the Lord. And then you contrast that to the reaction uh, of the sailors. Jonah's really painted out to be like a an anti an anti prophet, right? Because <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, he says in verse nine, "I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven." Um, and then the men feared in verse ten. Um, and, and, and they're the ones who say, hey, what should we do to you? They're the ones who kind of ask a little bit more detail, right? How, how do right. we, how do we fix this? That sort of thing. Um, yeah. And Jonah's reaction is funny because it's like, well, I guess, yeah, his reaction is throw me overboard. And I wonder sometimes if that's him still escaping. Yeah. Just kill me. I yeah. mean, he's in the middle of a storm. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and 
and rather than repenting to God, he keep in mind he hasn't talked to God actually at all in this. Yeah, um, that's fair. Usually, there's a response um, yeah. after the um, after the prophet is commanded, but Jonah offers no response to God, and even now he doesn't respond to God in repentance for that for you mm. know running away instead he tells the sailors to throw him overboard so still yeah. i think that i think there's the idea of him running away yeah well there's definitely some ambiguity to where it's like is jonah like in chapter 1 it's like is jonah like sacrificing himself for the sailors or like mm. you're saying like is he just like you know death is a better you know alternative than <laughs> than uh, like submitting yeah. to god's call and i think like you know we haven't got there in this podcast but if you've read the book you know that he's calling for his own death in <laughs> chapter four so i think we can like yeah assume he's, that it's that he's ready to die here yeah yeah he's yeah. ready man he's yeah. made his peace not yeah. with the lord but yeah he's i mean you bring up a good point too it's like we we've said it before but like the text invites us to read and reread and reread again um this yeah it's like we we learn more about the characters as we reread it but yeah, to your yes. point, I think, yeah, we, we get that sense. Uh, even here, a glimpse of Jonah's kind of like self-centeredness um, and yes. readiness to to die rather than, you know, extend yes. God's mercy and grace. And what's funny is the response, like I said, of these presumably pagan sailors, right? Uh, mm -hmm. He contrasts right. himself, I am a Hebrew, with the sailors. So clearly they're not Yahweh right. worshipers. Um, right right and so like their response is they don't want to throw him overboard <laughs> while the right. prophet of god yeah. wants to you know jump ship literally uh yeah. the pagan sailors <laughs> don't want to do it so it's like that that double right. irony there yeah totally well I, yeah i mean it's it's like jonah knows who god is and he doesn't like like the fact that Jonah has all the information and then he refuses to submit to God. And then these sailors who have like hardly any information, really just what Jonah says, which is like, you know, and I mean, the fact that they just believe him on the spot and then also right. that they're willing to one, not kill him right away. Like to, cause I mean, I mean, you think about like ancient near Eastern gods, it's like, what do we do to appease this God? And it's like, kill something. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like that is like kind of the default assumption yeah. is like something needs to die to like make this God chill out. Right. And really the fact that there's any hesitancy at all, it's like, wow, these sailors are some upstanding guys, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. especially, and you have a Hebrew prophet who's supposed to be the upstanding guy in the room. And he's trying to, you know, off himself. So he doesn't have to, you know, share god's goodness with another group of people while people who don't even know yahweh at all are you know <laughs> trying to save yeah. jonah's life and putting their own lives at risk so yeah i mean i mean the whole story i guess that's one thing we didn't really talk about in the setup is this whole story whether some people will take it as satire some people won't it just as a short story but either way there's tons of irony at every turn mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah i mean obviously yeah, as you said, Jonah being like an anti-prophet, at every turn he acts essentially the incorrect way. Mm -hmm. There's maybe a little bit later in the book where maybe he doesn't, but that's quickly dispelled. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Which is interesting given, like, again, reading 
reading Jonah along the lines of, you know, in conversation with the other post-exilic prophets, the other books in the Book of the Twelve. Um, yeah. Like there's such a, there there's a concern, especially in like the le- the later books for like false prophecy. And so we get the sense here mm-hmm. of Jonah acting like a, not like the prophet that he should be. Um, so sure. it's kind of an interesting kind of, you know, initial move into into that concern. Yeah, yeah, totally. A prophet who's not a legitimate prophet. I mean, the thing is, he, I mean, he is a legitimate prophet here. He right. just refuses to, to like share his, mm-hmm. you know, his message or whatever. Thanks for listening to this edition of Questions from the Pew. We're actually going to have to make this conversation into a two-parter with part two airing next week. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. It's just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. If you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that will help others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. You can do that by following and messaging us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. If you do leave a voicemail, please keep it under 30 seconds and tell us your name and where you're from. We'd love to include your voicemail in our Q&R episodes, but if you prefer for us not to, just let us know and we'll include your question in another way and without giving your information. The same goes for any messages you send us on social media or through text. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Bye.